0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Her Moment of History, the podcast. I'm Grace. And I'm Michelle. And this episode, our theme was mothers. Very, yes. very broad because, mothers. Because yeah.
1: it's Mother's Day when this will be released, hopefully. Try and okay. find it out. <laughs> So I've done. I'm just going to apologise. These are all Argentinian names, so I'm probably going to pronounce them wrong, but I'll try. So she's called Asusina Villaflor de Vincente. She was born on the 7th of April, 1924 in Buenos Aires. In Argentina, so she's the daughter of a lower class family, and her mother was called Emma Nitz, and she was fifteen, and she gave birth to her. And her father was Florentino Villaflor and he was twenty one, and he worked in a wool factory. And then at sixteen, she started work at a tele as a telephone secretary in a home appliances company, where she met her husband Pedro D. Vincenti, who was a Labour okay. Union delegate. And they married in 1949, and they had four kids together. So, it's not there's not actually that much about her. It's so she created an organisation, which I now have to tell you the background of what was going on in the country, mm-hmm. um, that started all of this. So, in 1973 there was a guy called Yuan Pe- Peron who is democratically elected as president. And before this, there was loads of massacres and military coups, and, you know just general awful things. And then He died in 1974 And his wife Isabel Perron Just took over the presidency So people didn't like that Because they thought she was weak And it was also just an unstable country It wasn't purely her But they used the fact that she was a woman That she's weak And she's a terrible leader To start Like the military started a coup Against her in 1976 And Mm -hmm. actually the coup is actually Supported by America And maybe France But they're not quite sure So she's overthrown And replaced on the 24th of March 1976 and then a lieutenant general called jorge rafael videla who's basically a dictator and a horrible person takes over and so i'm just gonna (laughs) say how much the u.s was actually involved in this and it's kind of disgusting so they give the green light to go ahead with the coup when Argentina were asking for some support and so it was Henry Kissinger gave him the support and then Congress approved a request by the Ford administration to grant 50 million dollars in security assistance to them to a dictator and then they sold them like 120 million dollars in weaponry and then they gave them another 700,000 to help train their officers. Oh my god
0: you're and, like, literally just stirring the pot
1: yeah it's like two years later so it's only two years I think it goes on for five the whole dictator jimmy carter is finally like no we're not gonna do this anymore because you know they they there's a lot of human rights violations going on so i don't want america to be involved in that so i now like it too late mm-hmm. it is way too late though so this whole time is called the dirty war and and they just kind of started taking like there was forced disappearances of sort of anyone with left political views or beliefs yeah and they think the death toll was around thirty thousand. But, oh, shit. but it could they I mean could have been 9,000 but what they did they'd take whole families and then delete their entire record of ever existing so you know you can't even know how many people they'd done that for it's oh my God. horrific so they used to take I mean I don't know if it was just general pregnant women or pregnant women with left leanings and they keep them alive until they gave birth and then and it'd be horrible conditions and yeah. they take the baby then kill the mother and they'd sort of illegally adopt the kids to military or political families or they'd sell them on the black market or something horrible and sort of the general way of killing people was called death flights so They'd, take, they'd drug all the prisoners, take them up in a plane, strip them naked, then throw them in either into the Rio de la Plata or the Atlantic Ocean. Right. It's really horrific. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, back to Azucena. So, on the 30th of November 1976, which was, I think, eight months after the dictatorship had started, one of her sons, called Nesta, was abducted and taken with his girlfriend, Raquel Mangin. Okay. Was she so, pregnant? No. No, no, no. They were just okay. Just normal. They just had okay. left-leaning. Just, just normal. <laughs> just normal. Non-pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> so she started searching for them because she wasn't getting any answers from anyone. Yeah. So she went through the Ministry of Interior and she was trying to get contact with this military vicar called Adolfo Tortolo, but he refused to speak to them. They just had to speak to him through his secretary, right. which, you know, not very helpful. No, was so, like, give her time. It's awful. So during the search, she met lots of other mothers who were also searching for their relatives. Right. So on the 30th of April 1977, her and a bunch of other women, they decided to held like a peaceful protest at the Plaza de Mayo in Argentina's capital city. And it was right outside the presidential building where they did it. And there's, I think it's about 12 people who were the founders. Oh my God. So oh, they so it all... grew? Yeah, 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 it did. So the first one, it was just them. And then slowly, week by week, week they do it every thursday afternoon still to this day i think they still do really? some sort of remembrance or i get more into but it's yeah, okay, still like okay. a big thing and there's a, an annual day of remembrance for it as well so they'd all experience one child at least one child was taken government mm-hmm. and they were just trying to find them and you know help this protest to make people aware of it so mm-hmm. according to the government they weren't allowed gatherings so what they did they'd all link arms as if like they were going for a walk and they'd walk around in a circle so they Not just standing still (laughs) because the police were like, "You need to circulate." So they literally circulated. Um, I think
0: that's what like modern protests. A lot of mm. them do that as well because it's it's like under some you know guidance where you're not allowed to. I don't know. It's like if you stand still, it becomes something that's not a protest or something. So you have to walk the
1: streets. Yeah, yeah. And so what? Eventually, when it grew bigger, they'd started making signs and photos with the kids' names on it to make them aware. And they also they all wore these white headscarves that were meant to symbolize nappies and they'd all embroider their children's names on it <gasps> Oh my god. It so sad. And like the names and the dates of births and everything. And obviously the government trivialised it and called them all Las Locas, or the Mad Women. Yeah. So in 1977, which was very intentionally International Human Rights Day, the mothers published an art, like, they were called, collectively known as the Mothers of Plaza de Mayo. That's okay. like the organisation which mm-hmm. they created. They published an article with all the names of the children that had got missing, and then that night, Asuzena was actually taken by armed force from her home and apparently taken to um, this concentration camp called ESMA, which is like the modern-day Navy Mechanic School, which is a place known for torture. We don't really know what happened in there and i'll come back to her but i'm gonna go back to the women and what they were doing during this time okay but it's not a good ending for her you know you, you don't no, out I, of them places
0: yeah from the fact that you were just like they think that she went here and they think that i was like oh yeah.
1: she doesn't get to say her
0: side of the story then
1: yeah yeah so in 1978 Argentina hosted the World Cup and mm-hmm. so the mothers decided to use this event to get international coverage of the issue so and it did people were paying attention to the fact that people were missing mm-hmm. and there was also some French citizens who got taken I think there were nuns that also helped with the international campaign and oh, okay. the, inter- the international campaign wanted the United Nations to act because it was a massive violation of human rights but mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what they did. And like, France demanded to know what had happened to the sisters, the the, the nuns. But Argentina were like, don't know who they are, never heard of them, don't think they came here, didn't want to know. So yeah, all this went on until 1983. And then the, I don't, just the whole regime collapsed. So the mothers were starting to think, oh, I can finally know what happened to my kids. They probably, they didn't think they were going to be alive at this point. So they got this American geneticist called Mary Claire King in 1984, who started to use DNA from the living people to try and find the remains of the bodies. The uh, children?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, right, okay.
1: Which they, they did, and also there was a, oh. another segment of the, the organisation called the Grandmothers of the Plaza de Mayo, which were trying to find, because their daughters who were pregnant were taken. Kind of, yeah. And they were trying to find the missing kids. And um, they identified as of 2018, 137 <gasps> of them, who oh. were then grown adult and were offered to meet them but a lot of them didn't want to, even though, like, their adopted parents were going to prison for all these things. Shit. Oh, my yeah. God, that's
0: so, so traumatic for a kid to be like, you're not biologically their child. It's like, I'm sure that has a lot of baggage to kind of get over. Not only that, but the people who... Are biologically your parents want to meet you and might even potentially be dead mm-hmm. but then your adopted parents go to prison for yep. kidnapping you Christ
1: it's horrific the parents were all judged guilty in court for because they knew about where the kids came from yeah and I think most of the people who involved in the dictatorship were eventually imprisoned for like violation of human rights and just mm-hmm. horrificness so then in 1986 the mothers they split into two factions so one group is called the Mothers of the Plaza de Mayo founding line which mm-hmm. is focused on legislation and the recovery of the remains of the children and bringing the ex-officials to justice and then the other one which is a bit more radical is called the Mothers of the Plaza de Mayo Association and and so they were just yeah, very involved in like the political side of how that even happened and they didn't want it to ever happen again and, trying okay. to, and they wanted oh. all like a the government to admit that they were at fault. And they, because there was a law that I can't remember the name of that was basically like if you worked under this person you're not guilty of this crime because you were just doing a duty.
0: An orders, right. But oh. I think
1: that was renounced. Okay. Um, so that they did claim fault with it. Mm-hmm. It's just very complicated and like this faction they just wouldn't stop until the government admitted it was its own like their fault in it Mm -hmm. and to recognize everything that they'd done but then in 2006 the mothers of the plaza de mayo association announced that they would hold their final march of resistance um, and they said that the enemy isn't in the government house anymore and like they said that they're just gonna continue the weekly marches but for other social causes that are going on and then the other one the founding line announced that they both that they'd also march um, just to commemorate the struggle of resistance in the dictati- mm-hmm. dictatorship. So back to Asusena. So it wasn't mm-hmm. until 2003 that uh, exhumations by the Argentine forensic anthropology team, they identified five bodies of women who disappeared in 1977, which she was one of them. And one of the others was the French nun. And okay. so the, Im- the fractures on the body uh, were consistent with the death flights. So they did, they right. did experience a hard impact on something so they think they assume that's how she died but her remains were then cremated and her ashes were buried at the foot of the may pyramid which is in the center of the plaza de mayo oh my god yes she was put there on the 8th of december 2005 which was at the end of the 25th annual resistance march Oh, i know and then her surviving children they chose the place um her daughter cecilia said it was because here is where my mother was born to public life and here she must stay forever she must stay for everyone and like that makes me really teary every time i read them. that's yeah <laughs> and yeah that's Senna, and it it wasn't all on her but she was part of this collective movement That
0: yeah i didn't realize like type. i knew that it would would be horrific i mean but i didn't realize it was so i don't know that's it's barbaric and yet so yeah. kind of just washed
1: away literally in... like 20 years no 40 years ago sorry yeah it's just Crazy. there was a biography written about her in 97 and there's also mm-hmm. a street named after her in argentina as well
0: i swear that like her biography was written before they found what actually happened to her yeah that's true so it's inter- it would be interesting to see how the, how the book ends <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yes it's very sad but they did good yeah. things they
0: did and i'm i don't know i'm glad that she's there finally and hmm. she sees it all should we take a break i think i might need to <laughs>
1: This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. I'm Lexi. I'm Haley. And I'm Alana. And we're covering the good, the bad, and the ugly of women's history. Tune in to Lady History every Thursday to hear about different ladies across history and cultures, from astronauts to zoologists. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at LadyHistoryPod, and find us wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So, the person that I've done, because I took our theme and, and we were like, okay, mothers. And I was like, right, mothers. Really inspirational mothers. People who you know that they're a mother and yet are also like fantastic people. So I, of course, have done Jacinda done. <laughs> so, we'll start at the very beginning. Uh, needless to say also, I got so into this research, I kind of forgot the theme that we were doing. And then forgot <laughs> that also there was so much to go through. So this is really, really long. So, but we'll see how far we get and then I might have to skip through bit. So, she was born on the 26th of July, 1980, in Hamilton, New Zealand, to a police officer and a school catering assistant. She was, or she is, the second of two daughters, and she was brought up Mormon, Mm -hmm. but she left the church in 2005, which, because of, kind of, you know, opinions that she had towards things that didn't fit that uh, kind of religion. So, you know, her belief that same-sex marriage is okay was obviously something that, within the Mormon Mm -hmm. faith, they don't believe. So, she kind of then rejected faith. And she got her first job. A fish and chip shop when she was still at college, which I kind of I kind of like as a little tidbit fact because
1: I don't know, quite cool. So the town they have she... them in New Zealand, yeah. I always forget because like in Canada they don't really have them. I suppose because it's so cold. Yes, yeah, so, I know you you associate fish and chips with the seaside, don't you? Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that McDonald's does a fish and chips, and it's basically like fish fingers and chip And it's like, do they? Don't show it to an English person; they will kill you. Oh, I yeah.
0: said I've had like McDonald's fish and fillet burger. Mm. But I've only, only had it because of I like, don't eat meat. So yeah. I was like, I suppose that's like the next thing. It was like an act of desperation and it's not great. Anyway, so the town that she grew up in was kind of known for being a centre of Maori gang activity. And she mm. kind of grew up often seeing children without shoes on their feet or children without anything to eat. And kind of this kind of made her quite politically minded, along with her aunt, Marie, who was a member of the Labour Party herself, who kind of introduced Jacinda into the whole thing. Mm. So Jacinda went to the university of and I'm really sorry if I pronounce this wrong Wakato I think it's pronounced or Wakato which I assume is a a Maori name to study politics and public relations and she graduated from there in
1: 2001 which everything is so recent. So I'm not completely sure on this but I think that Boris Johnson did his degree in like ancient history. Right. I don't know I find it weird that like the the Prime Minister doesn't have to do politics to do his job. I
0: know yeah
1: because, I mean, I only think this because I saw a video that I didn't watch on YouTube where he's arguing, it's like Greece versus, oh, ancient Greece versus ancient Rome with Mary Beard, who's like a, right. a famous historian in yeah. Greece. One of them. And she was arguing with him about it, so I assume that he has a background in that. Oh.
0: I assume as well because, like, you study, like, the ancients if you have, like, a private education, don't you? Yeah. Maybe you, like, learn Latin and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird when people say that they studied politics, because I, I I don't quite know what it entails yeah what do they study yeah (laughs) they just study political history I don't don't know it must be such a heated like class like because you'll have some people who are in there for very right wing reasons and you'll Mm -hmm. have some people in there for very left wing reasons and it will be very very interesting to see how you study anything without a bias
1: (laughs) it's probably like a mini parliament but with people who are just younger
0: yeah and more hormonal well loosely So, so yeah her aunt as well would take her to like take a campaigning with her so when Mm -hmm. Henry I think I've written his surname wrong Dunhoven was campaigning for his re-election in 99 Jacinda and her aunt were like walking the streets and campaigning for him as well yeah Um, and she herself uh, joined the Labour Party the Labour Party when she was 17 was part of the youth Labour sector of the party and when she graduated from university she got a job as a researcher in the offices of two other politicians so first was Phil Gough who was the leader of the Labour Party. And then, from there, she went to work as a researcher in the office of Helen Clark, who was the second woman Prime Minister of New Zealand, and one of Jacinda's, like, personal political heroes.
1: Yeah. It's just, it's crazy that you can have a leader who's a woman, and also Labour, because we don't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we
1: didn't. Yeah.
0: I just, to me, in my head, like, open-mindedness, and kind of being, I don't know, it's hard to, because, like, if you're somebody who's constantly been told you're not going going to end up in in politics because you're a mm. woman surely in my head you you're gonna have like a more open mind about who ends up in politics yeah and yet I don't know with the example of you know mm-hmm. Maggie Thatcher it's like it's you you know you had a struggle why do you think that other people should struggle I just don't get it but yeah
1: everything she did yeah. just makes me annoyed yeah
0: so then in 2005 she Jacinda began her and oh. it's in quotes her overseas experience now I didn't realize this but apparently it's like a rite of passage for all middle and upper class like people in New Zealand that once you've graduated, you go to another country to work.
1: Whoa. That's really cool and should be enforced everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, I was like, wait, what do you mean it's a right passage? But yeah, she did that. And I think most people kind of take it as an excuse to kind of do like living away from home uni life again. So they go to work mm-hmm. in like some British pubs or like in warehouses for some money and then kind of do like touristy things the rest of the time. Whereas it- Jacinda was like, she first moved to New York, she got to working on the workers' right campaign along, you know, oh at the God. same time she was volunteering in the soup kitchen. And then when she'd finished there, she moved to London to become the advisor
1: to Tony Blair. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. And everyone, yeah. everyone else is just like, what? You did things? <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm like graduation. I'm just like, I don't know, I suppose I'll toss around for a little bit and, and see what kind of fits into place. I just
1: remember that the, with my person, the way that Argentina like the dictatorship ended mm. was because the, they lost the Falklands War and then like there's just so much tension about that about whether like they'd done it that it, that was sort of the thing that made it fall apart. <laughs> Wait. So it's like you know, this stupid thing that Margaret Thatcher did kind of help Argentina? Well, I
0: kind of, like, I do not like Margaret Thatcher, but like the Falklands where I kind of understand, because obviously it was like they were in land that they shouldn't have
1: But they could have, like, negotiated it. She just
0: went straight with attack. Yeah From my understanding they did. I don't know I mean, I, yeah. Did you watch The Crown? I did, and also my I don't know how accurate it is, but that's where most
1: of my knowledge is coming
0: from. So, yeah because I think my grandparents were Margaret Thatcher supporters, so my mum was mm. raised in a household where they were like, woo. So my mum's understanding of the yeah, the Falklands War, is oh. probably quite influential upon how I kind of understand it. But I don't, I don't like the whole uh, war. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but that's weird that that was the thing. Yeah. That
1: yeah. Crazy.
0: Anyway, so while she was working for Tony Blair, she was working on ways to improve like communication and interaction between local authorities and small businesses. So she didn't wow. start easy. She was like straight in there trying to help out local communities. And then she was elected to president of the International Union of Socialist Youth in 2008. And so because of that, then was spending a lot of time in countries around the world like Jordan, Israel, Algeria, Lebanon and China.
1: Like, I know. Is this all still in the UK or is this back in New Zealand now?
0: So she, once she was kind of elected to that, she then went around. And then in, in 2008, she moved back to New Zealand because she was... She ranked twentieth on the Labour part on Labour's party list. Whoa. Like she wasn't even an MP. She ranked twentieth. I, mean, I so have she no moved... idea
1: how the rankings work. But neither did I. I had to do a lot of
0: research, <laughs> and it kind of made my brain swim. So I, th- from what I understand, like each party has a ranking of people that they are kind of putting forward to say you can mm. vote for these people. Like we are happy for them to represent the party, and they kind of decide upon it. From what I understand, mm. is how- is kind of how it's done, and you have to pick somebody from there to then vote for. And I think it's then more locally as well. So she was Mm -hmm. 20th on the the Labour Party's list without even being an MP. Mm. And so she was the chosen candidate for Wokato's for obviously like her hometown. So she Mm -hmm. was there, voted to be their representative of the Labour Party. So they did lose the general election that year and and instead it went to a national leader instead because I think the the politics in New Zealand are split Labour and National. Like you know how Mm -hmm. here they're like Conservative and Labour, there over there it's National and Labour. So, yeah, I have so many terms. It confuses me. <laughs> she didn't win that election, though, she, uh, and it was given to the National Representative as well of her hometown. Because of it, she was assured a place in Parliament and she was made an MP. Whoa. I know. She was 28. That's crazy. <laughs> I know. And also, at the time, she was the youngest person, youngest sitting MP wow. at the time. Yeah. Which I didn't realise, but, so, the youngest person in Parliament at the time in, the, in New Zealand is called the Baby of the house. And wow. currently that position is held by somebody called Chloe Swarbrick at the time of recording, who was 23.
1: Oh my goodness. That's my when... age. I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, in this position, Jacinda really pushed to make Maori language compulsory um, in schools and she also shamed the government for its response to climate change. Whoa. Amazing. Yeah. I know. Just, Can like, she come and like, become a UK citizen? I know honestly Make I just want to move a New Zealand <laughs> Yeah <laughs> Please she also, she became Labour's spokesperson for Youth Affairs and she would also appear on Breakfast TV (laughs) alongside the, like, her rival who was a national leader called Simon Bridges who I think was also quite, like, young for his position and and Mm -hmm. they would kind of, like, just speak on Breakfast TV. From what, it's very bizarre because when, from things that I've I've seen and, like, there's a a radio show in New Zealand that I I quite like to follow and they'd, like, Mm -hmm. talk about her as though she's, like, just everybody's friend and, like, They just speak about people in politics so personally. It's really weird. Whereas here, it's like cool. I mean, we we have nicknames for Boris Johnson, but they're not yeah. kind. But it's still, I don't know. Everybody regards politicians here as a rank above. Still, that makes any sense. Yeah, so. that's.
1: I mean, it's just crazy that you could actually like a like the country or a member of parliament. You actually like head You like of the them, country. and <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Wait, you mean, like, as a country, you actually agreed that they're the best person for everybody? (laughs) What? So then in 2011, um, she ran for the seat of Auckland Central uh, to be their representative, and she Mm -hmm. lost by 717 votes from the current, from the person who was holding it at the time, called Nikki Kay, who was only older than Jacinda by five months. Like... Mm -hmm. But the vote had been, like, between them had been called the Battle of the Babes, which I... Problematic. I, yeah, you can just see the headlines. And you can see the men being like, yeah, it's like, no, nah, no. Nah. But, although she lost, she now ranked 13th on the party list. Ooh. So, like, she's, she's going up. And also, only lost by 717 votes. And, like, she's yeah, still really, yeah. So, later in 2014, Jacinda was then up against Kay again. And this time, she only lost by 600 votes. And then Ooh. she'd moved up to 5th on the party Ooh. list. I know, exciting so so like number one
1: the leader of
0: the country okay I think well of the the party party. yeah Yeah. so each party has their own list so at the time she was also kind of becoming more of a public figure because there was more being you know she was speaking out more about her personal life about her beliefs and she was also getting involved more with the public Mm -hmm. so she kind of she actively took a positive stand on her opinion on like uh, homosexuality which obviously earned her a lot of favour and she was also then like performing on the radio as a disc jockey so she was like balancing Mm. these two yeah sides of like personal personally very well liked and also like politically very well liked so fantastic and around the same time as well she'd become involved with TV personality I think that's it gave him a really weird title like his job title Clark Gayford who was a TV host and he Mm -hmm. has his own TV show that's called Fish of the Day and it's a mix of fishing and travelling and
1: I think enough people watch. That took to be a show. I mean, I like, I
0: quite like some fishing shows. Like, they can be interesting if they. You
1: know, a fishing show? <laughs>
0: I only. <laughs> I don't My mom's know. My was really any. <laughs> into fishing. But sometimes it's very good. But yeah, so she was finding herself more in the limelight and, and everyone was kind of really liking her. So, lovely. So, we cut to 2017 and she's put forward to be the. she put forward for the Mount Albert by election in February. Mm-hmm. So, this is going to go month by month almost. And she was pretty much the only nominee she she got so many like votes that they pretty much just kind of like called it ahead and just said like that she'd won so the deadline i think was then in february but on the 22nd of january she was confirmed as Labour's candidate and the mount albert representative whoa i know so she'd been only doing that for a month or two and then in <laughs> march she was elected to deputy of the labor party when annette king resigned who had currently hold uh, held that role and so Jacinda had to hold kind of pass her seat over to the person who was kind of behind her so <laughs> then in August in oh the goodness. same year she was promoted to the leader of the Labour Party when Andrew Little stood down because his, he had such low like he scored really low on polling he, on his own and he knew that so he stepped down
1: whoa that's so, crazy. what a busy
0: year <laughs> what a busy year just wait so now she's running as the leader of the Labour Party they head to into another the general election in September, and she's kind of selling herself as the down-to-earth candidate. Down-to-earth candidate, she's calling for free university education, she's calling for reductions on uh, immigration, she's calling for decriminalisation of abortion, she's calling for programmes to alleviate poverty amongst children. And, like, this is going down well for the people that you know it's going to go down well for. Mm-hmm. And it's not going down so well for the, the other people. people you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Broadly, she kind of pro- she, she, she said that she was campaigning for in quote, a fairer deal for the marginalised mm. and there's there came this craze that was called Jacinda Mania which Ooh. it was like sweeping across the country I know <laughs> brilliant Now, in an interview at the time, and it's when I read this, I was like, oh my god, yeah, I just remember what the theme of this episode is. So in an interview at the time, she was asked about whether she was going to have children in the future. And Mm -hmm. she happily answered. She said that she did. She had no issue. And then the next day, another interviewer had said that much like how all employers have a right to know if their employee is planning to have time off to have children, the general public have a right to know if their potential prime minister is going to have time off off to because it will influence their decision as to whether they vote for her
1: yeah but she's gonna put a trustworthy person in place to take over oh my goodness
0: (laughs) yeah and she got mad about this Although I can't She doesn't seem like The kind of person Who gets mad But she said I decided to talk about it It was my choice But for other women It is totally unacceptable In 2017 To say that women Should have to answer That question in the workplace It is the woman's decision About when they choose To have children It should not predetermine Whether or not They're given a job Or have job opportunities Exactly Exactly So a lot of stuff happened I don't fully understand I tried to read over it On three (laughs) different sources And I'm still a little bit Unsure about what happened But the overall is that on the nineteenth of October, twenty seventeen? Bearing in mind, at the beginning of the year, mm. she wasn't even a representative. She oh. was elected to be New Zealand's fortieth prime minister.
1: Wow! Right? Amazing. How long are their terms? She going to have to leave this year. Twenty
0: twenty was when it was up for
1: re-election. Oh, and she got back in. I yes, yeah, she did. I'll get. Did to I that. just spoil it? So,
0: so. <laughs> yeah. she, uh, so she found out this at the same time as like the general public did as well, which I find really bizarre when people find yeah. out at the same time the public too I feel like they should have some inside like knowledge on but exactly the same as X-Factor <laughs> yeah, yeah that was exactly where my thoughts had gone as well she is the third female after Jenny Shipley who was the Prime Minister from 97 through to 99 and then Helen Clark who was Prime Minister from 99 to 08 and she's the youngest mm-hmm. since 1856 at age wow. 37 to be Prime Minister she was sworn in on the 26th of October twenty. 17. Whoa. Right? So then, in January of 2018, she announced her pregnancy, and announced that for the six weeks after her birth, she would be on maternity leave, and that Winston Peters would take the role of acting Prime Minister. And that happened. Her daughter, Neve was born on the 21st of June, and she took leave from the 21st of June through to the, tw- uh, the 2nd of August, 2018. And she was the first leader of a country in almost 30 years to give birth whilst in office. She's the second in history. Yeah. I
1: mean, yeah, I think Oz was too old to even have kids when they were elected. It's, yeah,
0: but like, and this is why it's, and it was uh, an interview I, I saw with Jacinda, I, God, it, I think it was like last year or something, where somebody had said like, how does it feel to be the first prime minister ever who's been sworn in and can't drink during their first few months? But it was just like she's, she's doing all of this and she's she's balancing that with, with being a
1: mother, like for, yeah. a first time mother, like what? Honestly. When Boris was like, he needs his Two weeks paternity leave when his child was born last year, and he was like, "Oh, I'm not going to take it now for the sake of the country, because we're in, you know, a pandemic." He's like, "Just, no, just give it over. I'll do it. You know, I'll do a better job." (laughs) I thought there was
0: something about the whole, because I think people forgot that he like he had a lot of older kids. That I don't know, there was a whole lot kind of to do with that. He he very much martyred the situation. I feel so. After Jacinda then came back to office, she has had to deal with a number of crises. She says that one was the darkest days of New Zealand after there was an attack on two mosques in one in central Christchurch and the other in suburban Linwood in on the 15th of March 2019. Uh, I the attack, them. Yeah, the attack took at least 50 lives and injured another 50. The terrorist was quickly kind of apprehended, and she immediately labelled it as such as a terrorist attack. Oh, yeah. There was no kind of like wishy-washiness around it. And she immediately also called for strict gun laws and was supported by a a lot of people um, in this decision. Right. Biden Later in, too. me too, so much. Before we have something else that, in quotes, wakes up the country, just put it mm-hmm. in place. Later in the year, in December 2019, a volcanic expl- explosion on White Island claimed 21 lives of the 47 that were inhabiting the island okay. at the time. Arden herself visited the first responders to help and to comfort, and there's pictures Whoa. of her hugging the first responders, and it, they've they've become like really iconic photos of oh. like I know a world leader going to help it's um,
1: like when the queen comes she comes in a little handbag and she's like yes I'll shake your hand that's all sorry. I'll do <laughs> I'll do a little curtsy um, in
0: 2020 Jacinda was up for re-election and it kind of wasn't looking great because there was a couple things that she promised to be further along with than she had been such as like trying to eradicate the homelessness and, mm-hmm. and things like that that she was wasn't quite where she should have been and people had noticed that obviously. But her response to the Covid outbreak won her so much support. And like you're nodding yeah. because you know. You yeah, know. Everyone knows. Everybody <laughs> knows. Was. Everybody wishes they lived in New Zealand. So she yeah. closed the country down immediately. Immediately. She implemented a national lockdown when cases were barely at 100. Although like the GDP took a tumble, people were like, astounded by how quickly she acted. By August, they had seen a hundred days without infection. Each time new cases were seen, the country would go back into a lockdown and be contained again. And I didn't quite read when the article this article was written, but I think it was relatively recently. The country hasn't seen more than two thousand cases overall, and they've only had twenty five deaths. Now I know very very Amazing. recently there's been another. Is it to do with the tennis? Or I like mixing up places? But there's been something else which has gone on recently. I think oh, might yeah, that that that's a little bit somewhere. higher
1: tested positive. Yes. But they, But this might not be the same person, but because they were in the government isolation centre, they tested mm -hmm. negative twice and then came out of that and tested positive. I think it might have
0: been, yeah, there was something to do with like when they'd set off, they were negative, but when the plane landed, they were positive or something like that. I can't, I didn't quite understand. But yeah, it's meant that New Zealand has been able to actually at, at, you know, one point come out of a lockdown and not just like we did where it was like half out of a lockdown and then you can kind of go back to shopping at your, Bookstores. It was like a full-on. They didn't have to wear masks anymore. Kind of like lockdown. And like she as well has been so much hushing. Kind of like really empathising with people. Do you remember the whole? She addressed the children of New Zealand to speak out about that the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy were essential workers, and that's why they were still able to go to work. I remember mm. that there was a, a press conference given about how because Santa is you know because of his age he's actually in the vulnerable category, and so it's it's that children do not try and get close to him and like there's so much oh. to like to really involve people I don't know in a way that is so nice and it's and as well I was reading an article about why countries like Britain and, and, and you know America have really struggled in terms of like who to believe and how this has become such a politicised thing rather than like mm-hmm. a scientific thing and it's because like in New Zealand she lets the experts have the floor she yeah. you know to say like right okay and now scientists are gonna Talk about what we need to do. Whereas I don't know in the, in you know in this country and in America, there's very much seems to be it's like Boris is telling us constantly what we need to do, and obviously mm-hmm. Trump was telling uh, the American mm-hmm. citizens. Yeah, I shivers when you hear his name. What they need to do, and it becomes then a politicized thing. So I don't know, it's just yeah. <sighs> amazing. So but in
1: 2020, like Boris oh, was always like saying the scientists are saying this. But yeah, you wouldn't put a scientist there to speak exactly. You wouldn't do that. But like I'm guessing she did, and like she that's did the big. Difference. I think yeah you know how like we were having our nightly Boris when oh, yeah. that though, was a thing but it's not always Boris
0: and also like people now are just like oh my god we're sick of his muttering <laughs> but I think she would very much she'd like introduce it say what kind of needs to be said but then everything that was scientific and the progression of the virus and things like that were all coming from a scientist's mouth if you know what I mean which is so important yeah. because is, you need shows
1: faith in it
0: yeah and you need because as soon as it comes from the mouth of someone who is political the words are politicised and it. If you know somebody who is Labour turns around and says it's imperative that you stay indoors to save you know, to to save people, Mm. our economy might take a bit of a tumble. You're gonna have everybody who doesn't agree with, you know, Labour turn around and then say, Well that's their thinking, so we'll do the opposite. It that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, So it's but honestly, I've spoken for so long, but I've gone a little bit longer. So in twenty twenty the Labour Party gained a majority, sixty-five seats in parliament out of hundred and twenty seats, a historic victory, a landslide. And in December 2020, she declared a climate change emergency in New Zealand and pledged that they would be carbon neutral by 2025.
1: Great. Because all the others are like, 2050 will do it. It's like, that's 30 years away. You know, so much damage can be done then. Yeah. Like, it's actually, like, close.
0: Like, you can actually be like, okay, yeah, you really have to work hard and you can make it work. Mm. In September 2019, she was on the cover of British Vogue, which I think I remember, actually. She was also placed 38th on Forbes Top one hundred most powerful women list in two thousand nineteen. She was in the Time one hundred list and shortlisted for Person of the Year in November twenty twenty. She also won an award from Harvard University. Whoa. Now this award, I know this award comes with a cash prize, which is the equivalent of about two hundred and sixteen thousand New Zealand dollars, and she Whoa. gave the money to New Zealanders who was just studying at the
1: university. Oh my goodness, that's so nice. You'd never get anyone else to do. That. Honestly. <laughs> Like, I bet that's more than she gets paid a year maybe I don't know how much but like you know potentially and she's was... yeah it's
0: just like nah, it's important that it's, she's such a push for kind of New Zealand heritage and, and New Zealand culture and, and language being really really pushed and, and educated uh, trying to make it in schools as low down and, and really widely studied honestly mm. like I was doing my research and I was like oh,
1: what a woman I hate that this is such a rare phenomenon that like she's this really odd person but like she's doing amazing things. Why is it not yeah. in every country? There's another copy of her. I know. And it's weird Honestly, it's... just make a united world. She can be the leader. I'd be yeah. happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she could be everybody's
0: mother. It's lovely. But it's weird because it's something as well. It's kindness, if you know what I mean. It's, mm. it's just, it's selfless kindness and care. And it's so, it's amazing that if you know what I mean, that a country is being able to be run that way and the country is doing well being run that way. Yeah. And it's so heartbreaking that other countries aren't if you know what I mean because yeah. for so long I think you know people have been fed this idea that if you have too much care you don't have enough kind of caution or mm-hmm. and it's like this whole thing at the moment it's like do you value lives or do you value money and you can only value one and it's like no you can still yeah. you can care about people and want them to thrive in a world I don't know that you it's, it's yeah she, she's just so good I know so not a little bit on topic because she is a mother and she's doing like all of this whilst being a mother which is you know phenomenal you know any woman who's a mother and a a full-time worker is you know phenomenal but like to be a literal leader of the of a country and also raise you know a child who is not even you know by this point of filming what three years old so
1: she only had six weeks off too like people have a year and she's like oh i'll just take six weeks yeah i'll come back it's (laughs) fine. amazing i want to move to new zealand I know, I
0: know. <laughs> I was just so, so in pain. I was like, oh, I just want to move there so badly. Because I think their weather
1: is pretty similar to us, so it won't be too hot, it won't be too cold. I don't think there's snakes.
0: I mean, there's a lot of earthquakes, though.
1: How, how do you deal That's, with earthquakes? Yeah. yeah, they're also in the Not everywhere's perfect. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but yeah, so. but that was our mother's, so that was nice. Do you have a recommendation for
1: this week? Do you want to say yours, that no, I can think? I do, and
0: I actually, I have come prepared. I've been thinking about it. So I'm currently reading. and I only have a few pages left Happy Fat by Sophie Hagen I love her and oh my god it's gorgeous the book is amazing she's so amazing she's just a great person she (laughs) is I like because I'm reading it and I'm like yes to all of her words it's just it's amazing it's about basically what it means to be fat if you know what I mean and what society Mm -hmm. thinks that means and what you should think that means and what historically that means and and things like that and also what Mm -hmm. it means when interplaying with other things so you know what does it mean to be fat and be active, or be fat and be you know also black? And it's it's so so good, and but also like there's a lot, there's a bit in it where she's talking about basically to to be a woman and to be fat is kind of like to be less feminine because the feminine mm-hmm. body is described to be you know thin and and whatnot. So to co- to combat that, a lot of fat women hyper feminise their outfits. If that makes any sense. So it's like larger clothes have or have flowers on. Mm. And it was something I was thinking, and like today because I work in a, in a shop at the moment, obviously. So we have a section, a clothing mm-hmm. uh, department, and like I was walking around, I'm like, it's really, really accurate, and you do have, mm. you know, that really big push for kind of like femininity on fat bodies because mm. it's
1: yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm no gonna
0: have to read that. Do it. It's amazing. It's such a good book. What is your recommendation? Have you remembered?
1: <laughs> yes, I just remembered. Thankfully, it's the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Have you seen it? <gasps> yeah. Yes. I love it I'm only like five episodes in but it's so good it's so good it just it
0: gets better like it doesn't it it's doesn't stop it's fantastic the same creators
1: as Gilmore Girls yeah I,
0: but I enjoy it so much more than Gilmore Girls like it doesn't feel as Gilmore Girls felt so sometimes like stiflingly happy if you know what I mean yeah. but this is like it's chaotic in a really good way
1: mm-hmm. so, yeah it's so good so good mm-hmm. I think it's better not to know what it's about because I didn't really know what it's about growing in and I was pleasantly surprised yeah
0: I think it was sold in a weird it's very much yeah one of those things sold in a weird way but go watch it mm. And it's really like a beautiful series as well like it's i really like the filming and the colors and, and everything
1: in it as mm-hmm. well so yeah and her outfits are great great coat yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes gorgeous yeah i want to plug i do another podcast now called the seventh reel hopefully it'll Ooh. be out by the time this is up so mm-hmm. please listen it's all about film yes check it out
0: yeah so give it a listen and we shall see you next time yeah. Bye. bye